diverging from the path of Acts, and uh, just especially as we get closer to um, election time and prayer time, and also as we think about uh, another topic, uh, we're going to look at in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8, and this text, as you, if you're following along in your notes and talking about some of the commands, what are some of the hardest commands that God gives you to follow, but... Um, what is the command that God has given you? Because as we think about one who is in authority, and as we think about commands or, or those who have been given authority in our lives, we don't always like to follow commands. And I know that in November, Veterans Day is coming up. How many of you served in any military or um, police service as well? All right, I know many of you have, and so you know, understand what it's like to take orders. And some of you know and giving orders as well. <laughs> but as we look at the commands, that, um, we aren't going to be looking at the Old Testament as we think of the Ten Commandments, but we're going to look at a text that Paul gives to really a recruit in Timothy, who was his apprentice. And so we're going to be opening up to Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. And this is a charge as Timothy gives an officer would give to a new recruit. And I think it is parallel in that there are commands that we have been given that we need to follow, but aren't necessarily easy to follow. But let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll open this uh, text together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth it gives to us. Thank you, Lord, for knowing us so well. And Father, as we look at those who are in authority, we don't always like to obey the commands or to obey those who are in authority. Sometimes it's out of the, the position, those who don't necessarily deserve to be in that position, or maybe we feel that we could do a better job. But Father, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to who you are, help us to recognize that you are the one who has established our world. And Lord, you have established order. And Father, we, thank, we are thankful for who you are because the position that you are in, you weren't elected to. You are one who is in that position because of who you are. And you have the authority, all power and dominion and authority has been given to you. And you have given it to Christ, even as we think about the Great Commission. All power, that word isn't being power as in uh, having power uh, the physical capability, but it's referring to authority in heaven and in earth. And so, Lord, because of your position, we need to worship you, but we also need to obey you. So we just pray that you would help us because we are a disobedient people. And so I thank you for who you are. Thank you for your patience, your guidance. And, Lord, help us as we look in your word today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, so as we look at the background of 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8, first of all, in 2 Timothy, this is uh, Paul's last letter um, after Titus. And then Paul was imprisoned by Nero. He understood that death was near. And sometimes when people get closer to their death, they, they kind of don't really care what other people think. Now, Paul wasn't necessarily like that. He wanted to give all that he could, but he wanted to specifically uh, give, as we mentioned even back in Acts, when he was sharing and leaving those people in Asia, his last will and testament. And Paul is giving to 
Timothy, here, I want to impress this upon you. And so he writes to Timothy at Ephesus. And this was, Timothy was younger. He was in his 30s when many of the elders or pastors were older. And verse 2 has these five commands and imperatives. And then also verse 5 has four commands. So there's a total of nine imperatives. And imperatives in the text are, these are literal commands. And we're going to look at ten commands because I think there's another implied one as well. But as we see here, there's an urgent tone. Hey, you need to do this. Time is coming when, when it, things are going to get worse and worse. So let's look at it as we look at in chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. And we'll read this together as we go along. And it says, it's really a call to ministry. And it says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you... Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. And as we think about this, this is a, a crown that will be given not only to Paul, but to those who love his appearing. And so verse 1 begins with the seriousness of the task. And it says that I charge you. And if you've ever received a charge or um, a duty, maybe it is in to serve in the military as you are serving your country. And there are those who have given their lives for our country or given a charge, there's a great responsibility or a weight. Maybe, you know, you've seen the movies and in the dying breath, here, take this and give this and go on this journey. And you see that the protagonist or the main character has to complete this mission, and that's their life fulfillment. Or often we see it in a negative tone, like, revenge, uh, you must avenge my blood. And uh, we, you see that as a motivation as well. But here, there's a charge given to Timothy, and the seriousness because not of because of the task given to him, but the, the seriousness is because of the witnesses. This is before God the Father and God the Son, their role as judge, and one who will judge unbelievers' actions, but also will judge believers' actions, the things that we have done for Christ. And there will be, and we talked about that, one will be an Olympic judge, but the other, the unsaved, they will be before a, a judge who is one who is going to convict or to punish, sentence. And if you've ever stood before a, a judge, it's not something that you should take lightly. And uh, even if it's a judge, a, an Olympic judge, or one who judges on what position you will have, you know, you're there hoping that uh, you will receive the crown that you worked hard for. Have any of you played sports in maybe high school or college? Did you, any of you some sports? You know, and some of you, maybe you were able to get, go into championships and, and win an award or prize and honor. 
If you think about the Olympics, that's kind of the picture of that. You've worked hard. But also there's the judge, the sentencing judge. And there's a fearful thing. And it will be a fearful thing for those people. If you've ever stood before a judge because they have the right to send you away. It's something not to be taken lightly. And so the charge is given there. And so we're looking at the commands. It starts in verse 2. Timothy is given five commands for his ministry in verse 2. And so these verbs indicate an urgency. Okay, you need to complete these. And if we look at number one, where it says in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, preach the word. Now you might think, preach the word. I'm not a pastor. How am I supposed to preach? But let me just rephrase this. And I think applicable to you would be to be preachy. Have you ever, and I know it's just to understand, but have you ever heard of someone, sometimes usually an unsaved person, someone else saying, stop preaching to me. And sometimes there's been saying, you're preaching to the choir. We understand the term. It doesn't mean to speak for long, be long-winded, and then have people fall asleep. You know, it's kind of like the young pastor who came to the pastorate for his first time. He wanted to do really well, and so he preached the message, and he, he preached a long time. He kept on, and he would preach long messages, and, and just uh, he tried to give it all he could to this small congregation. Well, one day after a couple of weeks went past, um, this, um, he received a call from a young, um, an older lady in the church, and she said, uh, Pastor, you said that uh, we could call you anytime. Wasn't that right? He said, yes, you could call me anytime. I want to hear. I want to help in any way. And she says, well, I hope I'm not disturbing you. It's like, it's okay. It was like two in the morning. And he says, I'm here. What can I do for you? And the, the woman says, well, Pastor, I can't sleep. Preach to me, Pastor. Preach to me. <laughs> but that's not the intent here. Understanding preaching is to literally preach the word. There's that indication, not... Um, to preach the word and the content, to read and quote scripture. If someone says to you, why are you preaching to me? Hopefully you're not giving them your opinion. You're giving them what the word of God says because that's what people need. And so it's okay. Even if you get accused of preaching to people, stop preaching to me. Well, that's what the Bible says. And it's to some, it's like a medicine. To others, it's going to be like a hydrogen peroxide in a wound. It's going to cause a little pain because, but there's healing in that, and it's going to irritate. But if they take the word of God, they're going to understand that to some, it's going to cause some pain. And preaching the word, that priority in position, and it's clarified because it means to herald and to emphasize, proclaiming aloud and publicly. There are those who simply want to live a good testimony, which is good as well, but if they don't understand why you're living that testimony, this is what the God's word says. So you're trying to live out God's words, but they also have to know that what God's word says. So it is important that you proclaim it. And as we think about as a preacher preaches the word of God to people, each of you as well, we need to evangelize and share what the word of God says and how it's even helped out in your own lives. Some people say, well, how was your weekend? Oh, it was good. You know, when's the last time you say, oh, hey, you know what? I learned this from the Bible or, or to understand that how God's word has helped you in your life. Simply to share a blessing or a testimony of how God's word has helped you to someone else. They might think that's strange or that's weird, but even when it's difficult. So be preachy. And we cannot be afraid to share Christ, but it's to proclaim the gospel with our mouths, the word of God, what the word of God says. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust the Lord, trust 
what? In the Lord your God with all your heart. With all, no, sorry, that's not it. What is it? No, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He shall direct the paths, right. We got in going into the, uh, the command of the Lord as far as understanding, but confuse that. But what it, what it means is to trust Him in everything. So if we say, you know, I'm trying to trust God in everything. Bible, the Bible says, or God's Word says that I need to trust God in everything, so I'm trying to trust Him in this difficult situation. And maybe you're going through a difficult situation. And so it's just simply, they might see you going through this, and they will respect you, but when you say, this, I'm doing this because God's Word says, and it has helped me, you are proclaiming God's Word. And so even in evangelism, when you are explaining that God's word says this, that he died, that he rose again. Romans 10, 9 and 10 talks about confession is made with the mouth. And as we look at the, the preaching or the proclamation of the word of God is the priority. So often we give our own opinions. Well, I think this, think of this, but we should give God's word and must take place by believers in the church to sharing God's word. So that's why even, you know, we haven't, really emphasize a lot of memorization. And it's okay to paraphrase. Sometimes to say, God's word says this, make sure that we paraphrase correctly, but this is what God's word says. The whole intent of this is, as we talked about, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What does that mean? Okay, that we try to divide us into four parts? No, simply to love the Lord your God above all and love your neighbor as yourself, to love him with all of you. And it's important that we demonstrate that in every area of our life. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'll love God with, with, with uh, my attendance, but not my finances, or I won't love, you know, we, we try to uh, marginalize or section out part of our lives. So be preachy. And people tend to know what God's Word says so that we can live out those truths. Even as we study the Word of God, when you read historically, grammatically, it's important that we teach it as it was written, because the primary message that was given to people, as we look at the Old Testament, we don't always understand it, but when we read it in its context, we can understand how to apply that message to our lives today. The problem is most people, when they read the Bible, they don't understand it. First of all, like, uh, you know, you take a book, Nehemiah, or, or if you were to go through and look at Deuteronomy or Numbers, oh, wait a second, I don't understand that. And so sometimes they need help, but oftentimes they need a, a context. You're, you're trying to dive in and study the tabernacle. Well, they don't necessarily know what the tabernacle means, so maybe you ought to start somewhere else. But the original context is instrumental in understanding God's words. Too often, the Bible has been misrepresented by others and taken out of context and tried to apply immediately to what's going on today. So don't not only be preachy, but also let's be prepared. Anyone been in the scouts? You understand? Be prepared. And as we look at chapter four to two, chapter four, verse two, it says, "Be ready in season, out of season." Now I know Christmas shopping is coming up. It doesn't mean that be ready to shop in season and out of season. You know, when the sales are good, when the sales aren't. You know, I like a good bargain as much as the other person, but that's not what it means. In, I think in the King James it says be instant. And um, what this is, is to be urgent or pressing, be prepared, be on hand. And the verse emphasizes the need to preach the word when it's convenient and when it isn't convenient. If you've ever had a job that you've had to be on call for, 
Um, I worked over 20 years. I worked in the operating room, and one of the things you had to take, you had to take call. Sometimes there were those who would, who would take your call because they wanted the extra money, but when I lived in Utah, I had to take call, and, um, and I would still serve in the church, and one time I was leading some music in the church, and my, and my pager went off. And right in there, and I was like, oh, sh- you can't mute it, but it went off. And so what happened was I had to go be within half an hour, go to the hospital, and that was the time frame, and ended up being helping to deliver a baby C-section. And so what happens is there's a requirement. You have to be ready. You have to go. It's not like, all oh, think about it. There is a requirement that you've agreed to. And here, being prepared, understanding is there is... And that baby was in season, and so pressing, and so had to go. And as we look at, we must be prepared to share Christ and encourage others to receive Christ during times that are are favorable and unfavorable to us. Sometimes God's ministry calls us, and there's things that we think about, you know, oh, I have to do this. If you are a task-oriented person, sometimes it's easy to do tasks, but to put people second. But when God brings people into our lives, maybe to help them spiritually and help other, other people to come to Christ, we must look at it as an opportunity, not as a bother. Now, there's some people who are always going to be in your life and always bothering you. Those you can kind of set aside. You know who those are. You know, they just come in and just take your time. Those people you have to set aside because until they're ready, they're not going to move. But God brings people into your lives where you might wonder why. Why did this occur? And if you're prepared and ready, you have the opportunity maybe to give them a tract or talk to them about something spiritual and to point them to Christ. And Christians have lost their purpose in this world. And the challenge is that we've lost even understanding what our priority is. We've been, become so distracted with everything that goes on in this world that we've forgotten what the purpose is as a believer. And that is to reflect the light of Jesus Christ in our life. And as we do that, it's important that we make God that priority and that we not let our circumstances dictate our ability to share the gospel. Sometimes we think, well, I can't do anything or I can't help people come to Christ. But you can. And God has a plan and ability to use you, maybe to take you to take someone else, maybe to interact The gifts that you have, God can use, and he desires specifically that you do use those to help people come to Christ. So be prepared. Be ready. And what that means is be ready always, in season and out of season, and and literally, you know, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. You ever get a knock at a door or someone comes and, you know, oh, it is not a convenient time. Now, I'm not talking about someone to sell you solar or, you know, to buy something. But to understand there's going to be times where you aren't going to feel like um, sharing Christ or you aren't going to feel like talking about spiritual things. And sometimes it's simply being available to listen or to share. It's not always that you have to, have to tell people the right answer. Sometimes God puts you in a position where you can be in, a, um, in the opportune time to be able to listen and then point people toward Christ. But not only be prepared but also be persuasive. Now, when we think about persuasiveness, we often think about the car, used car salesman, or we think about a salesman. But here, the word be persuasive, where it talks about in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, 
It says here, convince, literally convince. And there's two parts to this word. First, it means to correct, and it can include both an opponent or one in the church with incorrect doctrine. Remember, earlier in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what's right for reproof. It's wrong for correction. Take what's wrong and make it right for instruction in righteousness. To take what's right and keep it right. That the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in persuasiveness, in correcting. And nowadays, you know, we have these quote-unquote fact-checkers, which really fact-checkers, you know, who's checking the fact-checkers? Because if you've ever been corrected, it's like, wait a second, I don't know where you're getting your facts from, but, um, you know, how convenient, because what you say is truth is being distorted. And so that, as we understand, you know, there are those who have distorted what is true. They've reinterpreted it, or they've said, well, that's your truth, but that's not true for everyone. But there are truths that are true. So when we correct, understanding we can correct, and first of all, misinterpretation, but the Word of God, as we understand to convince, correct, and incorrect doctrine. There are many who misinterpret Scripture or misinterpret what, quote-unquote, a Christian is or what the Word of God says. So we need to be persuasive and say, you know, think about this. Have you read the Word of God? Well, no, but Okay, first of all, what does the Bible say? So be persuasive. We can correct if there are those who are wrong, especially doctrinally in their teaching, but also includes correcting one who is continuing in sin. And this is a little more uncomfortable because when someone is in sin, we don't like to correct them. And sin must be dealt with quickly and in love because if left unattended, it can lead to greater problems, as we saw even in the church in 1 Corinthians 5 where there was a man with his, would have been his stepmother, and it was being allowed and permitted in the church body. And so when sin occurs, the hard part is no one wants to identify it. We don't want to get involved. But we need to, especially within the church, understand that this is sin and how to correct it, how to deal with it. It doesn't mean that we just go over and gossip and get involved in that way, but we do it in a biblical manner. And the goal is always reconciliation. Paul isn't just to point out sin, hey, you're wrong, I'm right, I win, right? That's what we'd like to do. But we all are sinful. And so to understand that if that is unattended, it will lead to more error. But the emphasis is upon identifying the error or the sin. Because what has happened is, as we've talked about people have distorted truth. What is truth? They've distorted it and taken sin and said that that is okay. I mean, there, as we even think about what has been stated by the Pope, you know, understanding civil unions and same sex. And, and there are going to be times where, you know, people have misinterpreted and scripture and saying this is not sin, but understanding what is sin. And as believers, we can't just pick and choose what sin is convenient, what sin is okay, as this is this sin isn't as bad as this sin. Most of us think, oh, if you're a murderer, you know, that's really bad. But if you're, you know, doing something wrong, sinful, well, that's not as bad as this. But understanding is, to be fair, sin is sin. Whether you lie, whether um, you are in idolatry, and we need to help correct that and identify. And in our humility, to understand that we are sinful, we're going to sin. But if we can 
seek forgiveness. God will forgive us and choose to restore that relationship. But it's those who continue in that sin or those who say that isn't really sin. So in being persuasive doesn't mean to, to just point out the sin and tell them they're a sinner, but to help them understand how they can come to Christ and the benefit of living in a right relationship with Christ. So be persuasive, but we better keep going. Sorry, I know that tending to uh, delay. But number four, be proactive. And as we see in chapter four, the AC has turned my pages, chapter four, rebuke. And if you understand here, it says rebuke. And most of us think to receive a rebuke, how can that be proactive? But in the Greek, this word refers to prevent an action or bring it to an end. So not only bring it to an end, like a sharp rebuke, we, we're under, we understand that. A teacher gives a sharp rebuke, you don't say anything else. But this rebuke is to prevent, also prevent an action. So a rebuke can be given by someone who is, say, an elder or someone who is in a position of authority and gives it to, say, a student or a reminder. And Timothy is to tell those who are doing wrong and bring it to an end. Think about when you teach others or a, a child or a staff member or disciple. You know, we need to teach prevention rather than just rigid regulation. Don't do this. Well, why not? Our natural tendency is to ask why or why shouldn't we do this? But part of this in the word rebuke, being proactive, is give a reason why. Sometimes as a parent, it's always just do it because I said so, right? I said so, I said so, I said so. Because I'm the parent, right? Sometimes we don't want to explain. Well, sometimes there's a time to explain, sometimes there isn't. Because I'm the parent, right? But here, the proactive is, you know, we say, don't touch that stove because it's hot. You'll get burned. And then you're like, will I really get burned? Is that really wet paint? But you're trying to teach prevention of what will occur. And so I always say, give what is uh, conditions. Don't do this or this will happen. And so be proactive. And that rebuke is just like that. Do not sin or you'll be punished. There will be punished. And the problem is sometimes it's delayed punishment. So people think, oh, I got away with it. But God will punish. And so as we teach, disobedience or insubordination takes place. It must be dealt with immediately. And the priority is to stop the error even before it occurs. And so as we mature and get older, we understand certain things that it's, it's wiser not to do, to think farther ahead about the consequences or the unintended consequences that can occur from a decision. That's the hardest part is when, we, when a decision is made by a group or collaboration, maybe in a business, what are the unintended consequences? We might know what the intended consequences are going to be, but sometimes we don't think about that as well. And in this rebuke, to be proactive, but also to be patient. It says, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Be patient. Patience. If we, there are some who have patience, some who don't. And this is an urging, pleading, qualified by patience for the person and not the sin. Sometimes if you think about a, um, someone pleading with maybe an employee or a child or a friend, please stop this, you know, stay away from the drugs, this will ruin your life, or stay away from this, it's going to, we, you can see the actions of what are going to occur in the future, and they don't see it. And there's that pleading and urging, you want them to follow through, to listen to you, and they don't. 
And that's the hard part. But it says, be patient, continue on, keep exhorting with long suffering and doctrine, which is a teaching. And here, long suffering often refers to people, while patience often refers to circumstances. And the urging is to be based upon the correct teaching of God's word. Some people say, well, I don't want to obey God's word because I don't see how it applies to me or it's irrelevant to my, to my life. Well, the Bible is definitely not irrelevant to your life. The teaching and truth, if you think about a book, the word of God that has been applicable over eras, over centuries, in different cultures, it is still applicable to all of mankind, men and women, young and old, whatever position you're at in life, it applies to you, and you can learn from it. And the challenge is that when we deal with sinful people, because we all are sinful people, the root of sin is selfishness. So we not only don't we want to listen to anyone else, we don't want to listen to God. And we must remember that it is the Spirit of God that works in us through the preaching of the Word of God to bring about positive change. Some people can change right away. Have you ever taught someone to drive? Have you ever taught someone to drive? Okay. I've taught different people to drive. You know, some naturally are better than others. I've taught some internationals how to drive, and that's interesting too. I taught one person how to drive. They, they love the gas pedal. Whoa, man, that makes us go fast. You know, it's like, wait a second. Whoa, I don't have a brake over here. But some follow directions right away. Some are literal. You know, it's, do you remember when GPS came, came about 500 yards? Turn right. Okay, you know, and they're turning right where, you know, wait a second, there's no road there. They're just going to take the literal direction. They aren't paying attention to anything else. They get focused. They follow the directions as literal as possible. And then there's some who say, well, what do you mean by turn right? Do you want me to partially turn right? Do you want me to do this? You know, and even one of uh, my son's friends was talking about his parents said, okay, you need to turn around. And he like did a 180, like hit it and spun out. And they're like, whoa, they were all like afraid, like gun it. And so he did. But there's some who are like may still be thinking about it. So people think differently. And the whole point is, is we have to be patient because people think, interact, and are going to respond differently. But some are going in response to sin. Some will change very quickly. When they understand they're, they're sinning, you know, there's an immediate change in their life. And that's a blessing to see. But there's some who still have to process it. Some who just love their sin, and, and it takes them a while to change. And some you wonder if they'll ever change. And maybe that's some of you, some of us, you know, things that we've changed. There's things that we've enjoyed or realized, wow, that's sin, you know, but I, I like it so much. Or, you know, is it really, you know, we rationalize. But when God gets a hold of our heart and lives, we need to remove that from our life and get going. And as we think about be patient, we need to be patient as we interact with others because sometimes we're just like them. And so be patient. But as Paul talks to Timothy, be patient with those around you because sometimes we want people to change as quickly or to, to hey, you know, pay attention, follow God's word. But they haven't. And people change at different rates. So understand, keep praying for them and helping them change. And as we look at verse 3 and 4, it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. Paul says this is what's going to happen, and this really 
is we live in the era. There are people, there are things that are going on. And even beyond that, it not, not only happened in the first century, but continuing on. And as we, as we think about what is taking place, that people have different people, Different uh, speakers, maybe it's motivational speakers, maybe it's pastors. Oh, I like how they speak, or I, I like what they say. And so they're going to gravitate to them because if they're positive, if they say only good things, then hey, you know, you want to follow after that. But a true friend or individual is going to tell you not only what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And the hard part is the Bible has a lot of encouragement. You know, God's promises, those are really great promises. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. And guess what? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He's going to help show us where to go. That's a good thing. When we trust God and we place our faith in him, he will give us the gift of eternal life. That means a home in heaven, a future home in heaven. But the problem is we have to pass away or die before we can get there. We can't just go right now, and we can't see those who are already there. So some of these promises, you know, are delayed, if you will. But there's also commands and warnings in the Bible. Be aware of this. Watch out for those. Satan is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so there's things that give us warning. Watch out for. And as we see here, what is taking place, there are those who are going to turn away. And they don't want to hear what the Bible says, but want something else. And so number six, the, what it is, is, and you'll have to forgive me, but um, it's just, it starts with P. So as, as we see these first six start with P, it's be perspicacious. Perspicacious, okay? It's a fun word. And what it means is it means to have keen judgment or be discerning. Perspicacious. Everyone say perspicacious. You learned a new word. Perspicacious. Okay, it sounds like you're perspiring. But be perspicacious means be, be discerning. Have keen judgment. And that's what talking about here because these other ones they don't have keen judgment they're not following after the word of god they are listening to this new word of wisdom or knowledge and they're going after that the picture of itching ears you've ever had a mosquito bugging by your ear um, buzzing by your ear or something laying on you you know you get a swat at it and if um, i was speaking to a cousin who was in the uh, marines and sometimes they would have to be hold still and whether there was something crawling on them or on their face or not, they couldn't swat at it because what would happen is they could give away their position to the enemy. So, you know, sometimes if you've ever heard that term called the heebie-jeebies, you know, if something is crawling on you, you don't know what it is. Or I was in a building the other day and I saw a cockroach that must have been about two inches long. Now imagine that thing crawling on you, you know, sitting there, you give you that, oh man. But to understand here, be perspicacious and they are, on uh, the itching ears is they have to scratch it. And so they give in to that, oh, I want to go here. Oh, it, you know, it just sounds so lovely, and I want to go to it. And so they heap up for themselves teachings that they want to believe. And it says, simply means they will accumulate a list of those who believe what they want to believe and disagree with biblical truth. If you think about social media, this is a, a great illustration as well. The emphasis is upon turning away their ears. And this implies that there are some who have heard the truth and maybe even, quote-unquote, believed it to some extent, but now they're turning to false beliefs. And maybe they say, oh, well, I've changed. I've heard about some of these 
young individuals who, you know, on social media, they say, you know, I'm a Christian, and then they say, well, I'm renouncing my Christianity because of this in my life, or, or there's some who, who do that. And, and if they were truly a believer, they, you know, the problem is they, they want everyone else to affirm them. And do they really even have a true relationship with Christ? You know, that's what you wonder, but the problem is they want to make a big announcement and they want to do it in such a public way and think that that's how uh, God would be honored. But that is wrong. And so they followed a false belief in teaching. So Paul in verse 5 says, but, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And that little but in there kind of says, hey, guess what? Don't be like them. And encouragement, don't be like some of these others. So that contrast, but here's what we should be. And now we're going to start with some A's. So we're going from the P's and go to the A's. First of all, be alert. Okay? Be alert. How we do things is sometimes as important as what we do for Jesus. Be watchful in all things. Be well-balanced and self-controlled. Our testimony before God is the single most important asset we possess in order to be a ministry to others, believers and non-believers. Be watchful in all things. And as we think about that, be watchful. It is important for us, you know, obviously to know the truth. Preach the word, it says. Be watchful. And it's hard because if you've ever been on alert, the longer you've been alert, it's fine when things are going on, but have you ever been on, say, if you've ever had to watch for something and, no, and you don't see anything? Maybe you're watching in the distance. You know what often happens when nothing happens? What happens when nothing exciting happens and you're watching? What occurs? You go to sleep. You know, you think, oh, I'm fine, nothing's happening. That's how sometimes as believers, we think, oh, you know, God hasn't really interacted in our world, and, you know, everything's fine, going smooth. And guess what? We get careless. We get distracted. Oh, you know, think, I used to teach four- and five-year-old soccer, okay? Four- and five-year-old soccer. Now, if you've ever played soccer, you know, that's a big field. And when you're four and five, there's a lot of things going on. So they'd be down here, oh, look, there's dandelions here, you know? You know, or if they're distracted, it's like this big mass of kids all around the ball. But some of them, like, you know, if it's not near them, you know, they don't learn about, you know, stay in this area, this is your area. Oh, you know, hey, look at the sky, you look at the flowers, you know. Just, you know, you're not going to pay attention because young kids don't have that attention span. And, you know, what's more important? Hey, play with the grass, you know. Have fun. And that's how we are. We aren't alert. We aren't paying attention to... You know, as we think about the Word of God and what is taking place, fulfillment of Scripture, and that, that there are times that we have to be, aw- be alert, but we also need to be aware. Be aware. Number eight is be aware. It says endure afflictions. And when these afflictions come into our life, it's not simply to be aware that, hey, you know what, this is something's going on and uh, I need to do something about it. It's be aware that your situation is known by God. Endure the affliction because it might be an opportunity not only to correct you, but to teach you to be a, a witness to someone else. And 1 Peter 4.12, endure afflictions, bear hardships patiently. God knows what we're going through. And I think that's important because we need to be aware that God knows what you're going through. He's not up in heaven just pushing a little button and says, oh, I think, who should I um, 
give a trial to today? Who needs a flat tire? You know, there's enough going on in their life. Or who needs a health issue? Let's see, let's push this button. Okay, that person, you know, it's not like some game. Sometimes we think, you know, God is up there, rocking chair, and just kind of does that. Because it's, it's our human, you know, selfish perspective. God has planned out, as we talked about before, everything and knows what's going on. The complexity of who God is. He's not vengeful. He's, he's not like us as we'd want to, you know, punish or, or say, you know, hey, this is what I'm going to cause to happen. You know, if we were in control, it would be chaos. You know, think about those traffic control, the street lights, you know, pushing buttons. You know, if you had that for a day, you know, it'd be fun because, you know, there'd be lots of accidents, you know. But God is aware and knows what's going on in our circumstances. And so we need to understand that he will not give us more than we're capable of handling. Also, be available. Not only be alert, be aware, but be available. It says, do the work of an evangelist. And I've said before, sometimes we have this idea of an evangelist. Does that mean that, you know, we have to buy a travel trailer, have 10 children or more, learn to play some different instruments, maybe the saw or some other um, xylophone, and then travel to different churches? And, you know, the evangelist maybe you grew up with, pound the pulpit a lot, preach fire and brimstone. That's the evangelist. Then they go on to the next church, right? That's our idea of what an evangelist is. Well, that's not necessarily the biblical picture. And here, an evangelist, and one who is going to announce the gospel and the intent that the hearers believe in Jesus Christ. Evangelize. We're evangelio. The um, one who is going to share what the gospel is. And any established church or any seasoned believer must not lose sight of the need to share the gospel with others. And I would encourage, many, of, many believers have never led a person to Christ. And it's not that you have to lead people to Christ, but what you do need to do is help them along that journey. Help share the gospel with others. And to, whether it be in printed form, whether it be just to tell them what the gospel is. You know, in your own life. Jesus died. He rose again. And because of Jesus's, I trust him. And he's the one who my faith is placed in and to have the gift of eternal life. It's not in anything that I can do. Our faith is based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And evangelize, to be available. And that means be available to share with anyone and anything. Sometimes we just share with those who, who look like they're, they're good church material, Right? But share with anyone. And that's the hard part because sometimes we don't want to share with everyone. Maybe it's that person at work who we don't like. Maybe it's a family member we don't like. Maybe whoever it is, you know, we're fearful of. But they might be the one that God has directed you to share the gospel with. And finally, be ambitious. Be ambitious. Fulfill your ministry. Literally, that's what it says is to uh, fulfill your ministry. Give it all you've got. Fully and completely accomplish all that God has given you. Finish well. And here Paul, he culminates in saying, I have fought the good fight. And literally, as the Roman pictures, the picture of the Roman world, you know, where a gladiator and fight. You know, there's been a fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now it doesn't... And, understanding that he has kept on the path that he has been given. 
And literally, he has preserved the faith or been preserved and in, in continuing on. If you've ever run cross country or if, you, if you've ever had to run a race and you feel like giving up, there was this one professor or one speaker I know who he used to run cross country. And there was one time that he was like, okay, I am going to go as much as I can, but, but he had to have a picture in their mind. When you run a certain distance, it's like, how do you make it? You know, you try to plan for a time. And he said that as he was running, he was trying to keep pace with the person in front of him. And so it was like he pretended that there was a rope around them and, and tied to his waist. So he's running like this, you know, like the person is dragging him along. That was the picture he was giving and that was the way he tried in his mind to make it. But be ambitious in the sense that give it all you got, fill your ministry. Finish. Try to finish well. Don't just coast through life. But to understand, give it all you've got. Fight the good fight. It is a fight. It's a struggle every day. Sometimes we don't want to get out of bed because, oh, what do I have to face? Maybe it's the media. Maybe it's um, political news. Maybe it's what the world is going on. Maybe it's COVID-19. How am I going to deal with all this? I don't want to deal with it. But fight the good fight. Continue on. Read the Word of God. Continue on. You have to ambitious. If you feel like you're losing it, you know, call someone. Say, hey, I need some help. Encourage one another. And finally, as it says, there's a crown of righteousness. That's another reference to those athletic games. And it's not only achieved by Paul, but all who love his appearing. And that's the promise and hope that someday God is going to return. Those believers will be taken up into heaven and, and there is an end. And as we move forward, it gets closer and closer in sight. And sometimes we wish, oh Lord, may it be today. But to understand that there are greater things that God has coming. And keep going. Keep urging as you think about it. Someone who is trying to encourage you. And Paul's role here is trying to say, hey, keep going. You can make it. You can do it. As we think about those sports, they have no fans. They want to have fans. They want people to give accolades and say how great they are. But to understand this, you have the Spirit of God in you and working in you. And he uses people. He uses the Word of God to encourage you to say, guess what? There's strength. In the name of the Lord. There's power in the name of the Lord. There's hope in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How will you complete the life that God has given you? And I just encourage you to live with distinction and purpose. Because finally there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. The Lord is going to return, and that is the question. You know, how will you complete the life that God has given you? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.